Tonight, we're going to talk about the most important person in your life, God. As Christians, we profess in the very beginning of the creed, I believe in God, but do we understand the God that we profess? I was just last Sunday uh, at Mass, and we had a beautiful baptism, and the priest uh, did the baptism with this beautiful little girl, and he said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Notice the priest doesn't say in the baptismal formula, I baptize you in the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As Christians, could we explain the Trinity? It's not easy, but tonight we're going to explore the mystery of who God is and how you can explain Him to others. Tonight we have a big topic, God. And help me explain God is the author of the book that we published here at the Augustine Institute with uh, Ignatius Press called What Every Catholic Should Know series, God by Dr. Elizabeth Klein. Dr. Klein is a professor of theology here at the Augustine Institute teaching in our graduate school of theology. And she has written this book uh, just a couple years ago on God. And it's the beautiful thing about it is she's a very pithy and yet practical author. And she's written this short, easy to read book on God. And I've been looking forward to having Dr. Klein on the show. She's just uh, done a short course on our short course platform on God that anybody can take this short course. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. And she's got a Bible study uh, on God in our Alexio Bible study series that we're going to be talking about a little bit that's going to be coming out in the next month or so. Uh, our Alexio study, God, the mystery of the Trinity in the Bible. So Dr. Klein, it's a joy to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on. It's going to be a delight. Well, you've written a lot about God, obviously. You've done the Bible study, the short course, and the book, and uh, you studied theology. And I know that in your studies, you focused on your dissertation on St. Augustine. Mm -hmm. And of course, Augustine was very interested in the topic of God. That's true. Augustine was very interested in the topic of God and the topic of the Trinity. You know, Augustine, he wrote a lot of works on request. So a lot of the, the works we have of St. Augustine, you know, people wrote to him and said, People are, you know, complaining about Christianity in the Roman Empire, so he writes City of God, or how do I teach people in my parish, so he writes, you know, on, on instructing beginners. Uh, but the Trinity, his work on the Trinity, he really saw that as his lifelong theological project. It's something he wrote mm -hmm. because it's the most important thing that you can think about uh, and write about. And, and actually really coming back to working on God and the Trinity brings me kind of back to my first love in mm -hmm. theology. Uh, as an undergraduate, uh, I was, you know, evangelical, I, had to, I read a lot of the Bible, uh, but I had never really encountered theology, you know, the, the study of theology. And I took a class called uh, Christianity in the Middle Ages. And I thought it was going to be like knights and monks. <laughs> and I don't know what I and thought, but it was, the, it was the theology of Thomas Aquinas is what it was, <laughs> really, with like a little bit of Anselm in there. And it was yeah. the first time I encountered, you know, the doctrine of the Trinity, the mm. doctrine of the Incarnation. And for me, having all that kind of Bible knowledge, it was all of a sudden like, you know, the neurons were firing and everything was becoming connected and synthetic. And, uh, and so when I eventually became Catholic, it kind of surprised me that that wasn't the case for everybody else. It wasn't like the doctrine of the Trinity. It was like the headliner. <laughs> that, that led them in. Uh, yeah, the, that led them in, in or, the, or that that was kind of the, I don't know, the most important thing that they, mm. they thought about or had learned, because the catechism says, you know, it's a central mystery of Christian faith and life. Right. Uh, and so coming back to kind of, you know, Bible study on the Trinity and writing on the Trinity, it really brings me back to kind of 
what got me into theology in the first place and, and what kind of eventually brought me into the, in the, into the Catholic Church. So it's exciting for me. When you talk about Augustine writing his treatise on the Trinity, that's something that he spent years working mm -hmm. on, right? That wasn't just he carved out a week or two or a month or two. Mm -hmm. he, you know, he, he, that, was, that was almost a lifelong project. I mean, that, was, that spanned a number of years. Absolutely. And it took him so long that, in fact, a couple of the chapters kind of like leaked out ahead of time and, <laughs> and were copied and were circulating around. And he complained bitterly mm. that he wasn't able to go back and revise that to be really exactly as he wanted because now there are all these like counterfeit copies out there. So he couldn't sort of revise the draft to be to be just perfect. But that work is, it's a very, a very challenging work. And it really kind of spreads this, the scope of everything in Christianity to kind of bring him to what he sees as a deeper understanding of the Trinity. Well, one of the things I want to do is invite all of our guests that if you have questions about God, the Trinity, uh, those are big topics. Uh, please feel free to join our conversation. You know, you can uh, text your question, just give us your name and text your question on our text line, which is 720-650-0100. We love to have you join our conversation and uh, we'd love to have your questions. So please send those along. Well, Liz, you, you talk about, you know, th this theology like St. Thomas Aquinas in the Middle Ages, and you talk about reading the scriptures. I think a lot of people see this as two different things, but really what people like Thomas are doing is they're reading scripture carefully, but then they're coming up with the terminology mm -hmm. to interpret the idea of God that's talked about in the Bible mm -hmm. with accuracy. You know, kind of give us an example of how that works. Yeah, and that's something I really aim to do, especially in the Lexios, to kind of show how the doctrine of the Trinity really comes out of attentive reading of scripture and trying to preserve especially the mystery of Jesus Christ. Mm. You know, who is Jesus Christ that we encounter in the Bible and how can we speak about him in a way that's really true to how he presents himself? And that's how we develop that kind of framework and language. So, for example, uh, if you think about uh, the story of Jesus walking on water, which is mm. something I, I talk about in, in both the book and the Lexio, is you, Jesus goes up into a mountain to pray. You know, so he's praying. And so you think, okay, he's praying. You know, usually if you're praying, you're not just talking to yourself. Like if I was, you know, if I was like, hey, Liz, can we have pizza for dinner? Yes, you can, Liz. Of course you can. Like, you know, what would that look like? So Jesus is praying. So if we think that's not like play acting, you know, he's talking to someone else. But then he sees the disciples out struggling, uh, you know, out in the sea. It's like, well, he probably doesn't just have really good eyesight. He probably you know, has some kind of knowledge that extends beyond human knowledge. And then he comes towards the disciples in the Gospel of Mark, he's walking on the sea, mm. and it says that Jesus intends to pass them by in the Gospel of Mark, which is a really weird detail. Like, yeah. isn't he going out to help them? Why, <laughs> why would he walk by them? Like, right. what, so, you know, that's really echoing something from the Old Testament where the glory of the Lord passed by Moses because Moses couldn't see the glory of the Lord and live. And so it's really mm. this shocking moment where Jesus intends to pass them by and then he doesn't, he stops. Mm. And so what we're told is, no, no, this is God, and he's stopping, and he's speaking. Uh, and Jesus, what Jesus says is, you know, do not be afraid, it is I, which in our translations always... It's such a yeah, poor it's a translation. Yeah, it's a poor translation because, you know, sometimes there's a little footnote, Greek, e I am. Ego um, e me. Yeah, ego e me, because Jesus is giving himself the name of God. And so think about just a passage like that. Yeah. How are we going to develop a way of speaking about a person, Jesus Christ, who can pray to God, authentically is having a conversation with someone else, mm -hmm. and yet... He himself is God and gives himself the divine name. And so really right there you have, you know, the, the data, the raw material mm -hmm. of the doctrine of the Trinity. How can we say there is someone else, but not something else? Mm. Uh, and so right there you have 
okay, how are we going to, how are we going to talk about this? How can God be somehow have a plurality to him where Jesus can be God? And yet Jesus is not identical with the father, unless we think all that praying and the garden of the just Gethsemane is just play acting. It's yeah. just sort of him being dramatic. And, and so I think once you're kind of attuned to that, which to us, it seems natural, you know, we're used to these stories, we read them, but really is, that is actually quite strange. Something mm -hmm. new about God is being revealed. The God, you know, whose glory had to pass by and we could not look in his face, he can stop and get into the boat. So what does that yeah. mean about Jesus? What does that mean about God? I, I know that your expertise is in patristics. Mm -hmm. So you look at the early church fathers, the early church, and they're reflecting on the scriptures mm -hmm. and they're having to define who God is because some people are saying, interpreting those scriptures wrongly, that mm -hmm. Jesus isn't God. You know, so we're going to get that heresy that he's mm -hmm. just a human being. And that, that's not going to work because we, other people like Athanasius go back to those scenes that you mm -hmm. mentioned. Jesus is walking on mm -hmm. the water, not something that typically human beings do. And yeah. then while he's walking on the water, he identifies himself as I am, mm -hmm. right? So I am who I am. That's a pretty strong clue that he is God. And, and for Athanasius and, and, you know, the fathers going back in the earliest tradition, sometimes we think about the doctrine of the Trinity developing, which of course it does. Uh, but I once heard a sermon, you know, far, far away and a long time, long, long ago, uh, where the homilist said, well, Jesus couldn't have said baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because the doctrine of the Trinity didn't exist yet. And you're like, <laughs> uh, well, I think he was kind of in on it. Uh, and yeah, there's, there's this sense in which we think it was kind of like invented in the fourth century with Athanasius. But really, there's this mystery about who Jesus is that's from the very earliest times that's becoming mm. unfolded. And that mystery, I think, is very much centered on the cross. So you can have someone like Ignatius of Antioch, who's very early second century, uh, use a phrase like the blood of God, mm. you know, and it's like, well, does God have blood? How does that work? And so I think, and for Athanasius too, it's, yeah, of course, there's all these scenes where you have the divine name, Jesus doing divine acts, but it really comes down to what happened on the cross. Was it really God who offered himself for us mm. or not, right? Did mm. God just sort of send a really awesome person? Did God just kind of... Uh, you know, say, yeah, that guy, he's my guy. He's going to die for me. Did he send a messenger or did God actually come and did God actually die? And so is the central mystery of the Christian faith really true or isn't it? And I think that's really fundamental for Athanasius, the sort of mm. salvation aspect of, of the Trinity and, and what happened on the cross. I think, you know, when you look at things like Jesus walking on the water, Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus dialoguing with his father, calling him in the garden of Gethsemane, Abba, Father. These are the, these are the incidents in, in the gospels that become the food for thought, so to mm -hmm. speak, for the early Christians as they reflect on who God is. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think, you know, the early Christians, they, they didn't have all the definitions and creeds that we have nailed down with, you know, as the tradition goes on over 2000 years, mm -hmm. we become more refined at how to be accurate. But I think that there was a, this, this, an eagerness uh, in the early church to know who God is. Mm -hmm. Do you think Christians today take that for granted or do we still have that eagerness to know who God is? I, I think we take it for granted to some extent. And I think something that drew me into the study of theology was this, this early period, this patristic period mm. when they're really debating who is God. And during the Arian controversy, which you mentioned this controversy about, okay, well, is Jesus really God, like the Father's God, or is he some kind of creature? Is he just a man? You know, they, yeah. there's reports of sort of everyone in town is talking about this. Everyone all is, all the bars. All, yeah, really? everyone's talking about it. And, you know, a riot breaks out in the streets of, of the city over a certain sort of hymn that's getting changed to be a, a slightly different interpretation of who God is. Uh, and I think maybe we, 
we don't really appreciate it as, mm. we, as we ought to. And that lack of curiosity about the doctrine of the Trinity is, should be somewhat distressing, because mm -hmm. if you think about the catechism says, you know, this is the innermost secret of God's mm -hmm. life. Like if you were sitting with your best friend and they told you like their innermost secret and you were like on your phone texting and you're like, and oh, that's nice. And yeah. you were paying attention. And well, you, well, I'm sorry, what'd you say? Yeah, was... <laughs> you didn't, you didn't <laughs> yeah. really ask any further questions. Yeah. Like that would be considered pretty rude. And so yeah. for, for the catechism to say, this is God's innermost secret and for us to say, well, that's for theologians. And like, I'm not really a theologian. That's not really for me is to really mm. say, I'm not really that interested in who God is. I'm not really mm. interested, I'm more interested in like the fish fry on Friday or, you know, whatever, Lourdes and all those things are mm. wonderful, but they're not really anything compared to the mystery of who God is. One of the, uh, someone asked, Ryan asked the question, what is the Trinity? So how do we talk about the Trinity and yet God is one? So this, this seems to be a great tension because, mm -hmm. you know, as Christians, we grew up, you know, there's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit. And yet we say there's one God, we don't say them mm -hmm. about God. Why is that? Yeah, so th this is kind of like the classic question. And also what should shock us, right? Because mm -hmm. in the Old Testament you have the Lord our God is one. Yes. And then all of a sudden you have Paul and Corinthians saying, well, there's one God and there's one Lord Jesus Christ. And you're like, that's two ones. <laughs> <laughs> that's, right. that's one too many one. Uh, and so really we do have this deepening of revelation of who God is in Jesus Christ. Uh, and I kind of alluded to it a little earlier when I was talking about the dynamic in the walking on the water story. How can we say there is only one God who's completely simple and all-powerful, and yet this new revelation of Jesus Christ is that mm. God is not solitary. God mm. is in himself a communion of persons. So this opens up a whole new understanding of what it is to say God is Father. God is Father not just in being sort of creator and caretaker of the earth, but God in his very being is communion. God is love. And saying God is love isn't just a way of saying like, God is super duper loving, like love times a million. It's that God is that by which we love. When we mm. love, we're experiencing God because God is that in himself. And it sheds light on all kinds of other things like creation. Like we might think about in the back of our minds somewhere, think, you know, God was probably like lonely up there in eternity. He's not like doing a whole <laughs> lot. So like he creates the earth and all the animals because he's got nothing better to do. And maybe he needs some company. Everyone needs a hobby. He, needs, God. he needs some company. He's kind of lonely. <laughs> but when you understand like, no, God is actually completely perfect, including mm. a perfection of love. God doesn't need anything to keep him company. Mm. <laughs> you know, God is in his own company. Yeah. Uh, that adds a whole new dimension to, to creation because now what creation is, is an outward expression of that vivacity, that love that God mm -hmm. is. Um, and, and I think that really just cascades down to all kinds of things in our life when we're trying to think about who God is and who God is to us. You know, one of the things that I think a, a lot of Christians know that, well, we're, we're raised in the church, we hear about God, we might get some good catechesis, hear the catechism occasionally, hear scripture. But people are like, like, I don't even know where to start to think about God. Mm -hmm. And I love what the catechism says in paragraph 236, where it talks about, you know, you, you a, a person discloses himself in his actions, and the better we understand the person, the better we understand his actions. Mm -hmm. And so th this analogy of how do you get to know another person, right? So let's just, it's kind of overwhelming to think about God, right? But if I think about how I know somebody and get to know somebody, I watch what they do and I learn about them, but the more I understand who they are, the better I can interpret why they do what they do. Mm -hmm. And how does that work for theology? Yeah, that is an absolutely- theology is such an overwhelming term. It just sounds so- Yeah, this is a wonderful analogy. I love this analogy that the catechism uses. I use it all the time. 
this analogy of getting to know somebody and the mystery mm. of getting to know somebody. Mm. So when we think about it on a human level, we're not nervous. Like if you, you know, if you're right. looking for someone to marry and you meet someone you're interested in, you're not like, oh, another person is such a mystery. I could never know you. I'm not even going to bother, <laughs> right? Like right. You, you wouldn't do that, right? You would you would start little by little. You would maybe try to frequent the places they were at, try to see what they were doing, get to know them, and then start spending time alone with them and. That's really the same as with God, both on a kind of micro scale, just in your own personal life. Read the Bible, do a Bible study, you know, listen to homilies, have that back and forth, but also kind of on the macro level of the church. So just what you're saying, the church observe the actions of God in Jesus Christ, mm. as attested to in the scriptures, witness those acts, and then spend a lot of time contemplating them. And then from those things, got to know more about who God is. And then the light of who God is in that traditional doctrine that we teach then we can understand the actions of God better. And so there's that, mm. that mutual relationship between what we call scripture and tradition, sort of uh, what we have in the Bible and then how we receive that in the life of the church and then how that helps us read the Bible. And it's a very organic relationship, much like, mm. much like getting to know a person. Yeah, I like, and you've already used a couple of good examples of this, this, this idea of listening to Jesus' words when he says, I am, and then his deeds, he's walking on water. You know, and so you look at what he says and what he does and the more you take those in, the more you can understand why he does what he does. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, and use the, the cross as an example. There's an event, there's a deed. Jesus dies on the cross, but the more you understand who he is, you understand why he does, why he allows himself, even though he's all powerful, to submit to death. Exactly, and, and it really does, the cross especially, is a really a deepening moment in understanding God because there were really, really smart people like Plato and Aristotle mm. who kind of by reason understood certain things about God. If there's such a thing called God, a first principle of the universe, what are these, these features of God? But those features didn't actually include being able to become man and die. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually a scandal to the philosophical notion of God, yeah. uh, that God isn't, God isn't bound by his own transcendence. You know, God yeah. isn't bound by his own almightiness, that God can do whatever God wants. Uh, and so there, there is this wonderful harmony of faith and reason of scripture and tradition in coming to know God. And, and that's something I kind of try to show uh, in, in the book and both in the Lexio that this really does come from the scriptures, but then, you know, the uh, one definition of theology is faith seeking understanding. Mm. And so that we have this faith, these are the words of God, and then how can we deepen our understanding? And that's true also of a human relationship, right? Mm. There's an, when you get married to someone, that's an act of faith, mm -hmm. right? When you say yes, you can't like get, buy a, a scientific instrument and scan them to make sure that they love you. You know, yeah. you can't yeah. say like, oh yeah, you got nine out of 10 on love, uh -huh. so we're good to go, right? It is an act right. of faith based on experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and then once you have that faith, then you continue to grow in understanding, which then increases love. And that's just how it works in a marriage and that's just how it works both in your own relationship with God and in the church's sort of tradition and its relationship with God in history. It's a beautiful way of, I, I think it, the more people reflect on getting to know God as knowing another person, I think that opens up a window to make it more, I guess, down to earth or realistic. Mm -hmm. It gives people a roadmap. Well, Stephanie asked a question that I think is a good one. Does prayer change God's mind? So this gets to, uh, that's a good practical <laughs> question. I love when people like Stephanie, when we start thinking about God and we start thinking about these things and wondering, it, that's to me is the beautiful curiosity that you mentioned earlier. Right, so I mean, the, the simple answer is no, it doesn't change God's <laughs> mind. Uh, God is uh, you know, all-knowing, omnipotent, unchanging outside of time. But the even deeper mystery about God, so again, it's like we have this philosophical definition of God as being simple, unchanging, but from the Bible we know 
that God really does enter in human history and interact with us. So how, we, how do we understand that as mm. being, again, not just play acting? Well, we understand that God's power actually frees and liberates people to act according to His will and to participate in His plan. So God is so powerful that He can actually include our prayers without changing His mind. And that is a sort of something that's difficult to wrestle with. Uh, another aspect, of course, of this and why God would bother to do that is that we're actually built up through prayer. So mm. Augustine has this great line. Oh, I love through, his, through he prayer. has a great homily on prayer. <laughs> yeah, but I was just thinking of a particular line oh, okay. that uh, God is not, uh, in prayer, God is not instructed, but we are constructed. Mm. So we're not really teaching God what to do. God is teaching us who we are. Mm. Uh, and that really is an actual dynamic process, even though God is unchanging. Uh, and so that's something we come to experience more and more through prayer who God is and how he's teaching us about who he is through prayer. I love that. Not, we're not instructing God, he's constructing us. And I, Augustine also talks in one of his homilies about prayer. He talks about how prayer is where we exercise our desire for God. Mm -hmm. And uh, the idea of not praying is not exercising that desire. And, and for Augustine, desire is really important and it's like a muscle that you have to exercise, right? Like you could be a couch potato and, <laughs> and you don't want to be a spiritual couch potato. You want to exercise yeah. that desire for God. Yeah, I feel like in Augustine's mind, it's like all of human history is sort of like the weight of sin pulling us down and grace trying to like buoy us up, mm. you know? And so constantly, like you said, reach, reaching up for that line, reaching up for God, mm. stirring your heart up towards God. And that's what he said the purpose of writing his confessions was to move the minds and heart of men towards God, including his own heart. Yeah. And that sort of continued restlessness that he's continuing all the way through until the very end of his life, kind of trying to cultivate that desire for God. That, that reminds me, you have a, a little short series you did with Dr. Seahorn on Augustine, right? On, yeah. Was it Augustine's so, Confessions? Yeah, so recently we did a Form Now series on mm -hmm. Augustine's Confessions, which is probably why it's in the back of my mind. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, I just want to highlight that for people. If you're interested in more on, on St. Augustine, Dr. Klein and Dr. Seahorn, who are two great patristic scholars, uh, talk about Augustine's Confessions, and it's what, a four-part, six-part series? Six-part series. Six-part series, and you can find that on Form, so I re highly recommend that. And I think this is one of the great treasures of Formed, is getting this kind of teaching out for people, because people are hungry to learn about God. Uh, yeah, and the beautiful thing about the Confessions that we try to show in that series is that the Confessions is a story of Augustine's life, but really the main character is God. Yeah. Uh, and the way that he thinks that happens is through prayer. Mm. And so the first line of the Confessions is a prayer. Great are you, yeah. O Lord, or greatly should be praised from the Psalms. And so Augustine thinks that prayer, like you're saying, it really is kind of like a diet or like, a, you mm. know, a regimen where you become sort of one with God's word. And that finally the end goal of prayer is praise of God, the mm. sort of sheer exercise of desire and love for God. And he says, you know, in heaven, we're not going to have petitions anymore. We're only going to have the prayer praise. of praise. And so the more that we can cultivate that prayer of mm. praise to God, that gratitude, the more we're having sort of a foretaste of the life of heaven. Well, praise, as you mentioned here, is, 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 a, uh, is, is a form of love, right? Mm -hmm. It's a response of love. And of course, in the epistle of John, he says, God is love. So a lot of people misunderstand what that might mean. You want to just talk about that passage? Yeah, so I actually, this is a perfect segue because Augustine really takes that as the starting point for understanding mm. the Trinity. So in, the, in this great work on the Trinity, which I've been rereading recently for, for writing purposes, it's a very, very tough work, but very beautiful. In the first half, he kind of looks at the doctrine of the Trinity from the Bible. And he goes through the traditional doctrines and shows how they work and how the scriptures make sense. And he says, okay, this doctrine makes sense, great. But then how do we really like know it? Mm. How can we, I mean, is this just all words? 
you know, what, what in human experience allows us to know the Trinity? And he turns to this, this passage, God is love, and also to the, the great commandment, love of God and love of neighbor. Mm. He said, well, if God is love and we're able to love God and the neighbor, we must somehow already know God or experience God. So he has this wonderful analogy for understanding the doctrine of the Trinity, or sort of more than analogy, I guess, from love. So he says, as soon as you see love, you see the Trinity. Why? Because in love itself, there's already three. Because as soon as you say the word love, there's already a subject and an object. As soon as you say love, you have to love something. Mm -hmm. Like you can't just walk around saying, I love. <laughs> right? You have to say, I love yeah, no. pizza or I love right. whatever. So he's so like. There's, so there's a, there's a subject, I, and then there's the object that you're directing your love right, towards. Right, that you're loving. And then there's love itself. Mm. So he says there's the lover, that's the father, mm. the beloved, that's the son, this is my beloved son, and the love itself, the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so in that analogy, there really is only one thing, right? There really is only love, nothing else is going on, mm. but you have this three already. So he says right there in the act of love, in the act of fulfilling the greatest commandment, we're, we're getting an experience of the Trinity. And so we can have this confidence. We can know mm. the Trinity, we can know something because we can already experience it. We're already experiencing God when we fulfill his greatest commandment. Uh, and he, he, he also likes to point out that the sign of the cross, right, is, is this whole, this, the whole faith in miniature, right? You have, the, you know, Christ's passion. You have the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you have the dual commandment, right? The, the vertical, uh, vertical and the horizontal. And so it's all, it's all encapsulated in this act that we do day after day after day that we're professing sort of, the greatest moral code, the greatest mystery of the faith in the cross and the Trinity. It's so, it's so profoundly beautiful and it all comes together like you said in that. It just reminds me of, we have a beautiful video in our curriculum that we're designing for children called Word of Life. And we have a, a beautiful animation of uh, teaching a child how to pray, uh, how to make the sign of the cross. And then what that means, and it, it, it's so deep and uh, you know, Let's go back to that baptismal formula since you used the sign of the cross and it makes me think of that baptism I just saw last Sunday. Why can't the priest say, I baptize you in the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? How do we understand this idea of three and one, that God is one? Right. So, I mean, the traditional kind of formula is, as I mentioned earlier, there's, kind of, there's three who's and only one what. So we mm. say, you know, what God, who the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when we think about how is God one, well, God is, God is one in almost any way that you can think of. He's one in being or essence, right? We say the mm. Son is consubstantial with the Father uh, in the creed. And what does that really mean? It means that whatever it is that makes God God, Jesus is that too. <laughs> you know, he's God same in the nature. same way, the same nature. So he's one in nature, being, essence. God is also one in act, right? Mm. It's not right to think about God doing three different jobs, <laughs> sort of, <laughs> right? God is completely unified in action. And so in what way is he three then? If he's one in essence and action and all these things, he's three only in the inner relationships within the Godhead. Mm. And so that's why we say the Trinity really is, strictly speaking, a secret. It's his innermost mystery. Mm. Because from, his, from the outside, we wouldn't necessarily know that unless he told us. Mm. Uh, so it really is a disclosure of, of his inner self. So we say three only in those inner relationships, that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit. Uh, and in the way that they relate to one another is unique. Mm. That's, it's so beautiful. I, you know, I, I just want to recommend for everybody to uh, 
a, a wonderful book that's very easy to read, and you can already get a sense. I, I uh, was talking to somebody uh, who works with our Mission Circle members, and she said, oh, Dr. Klein, our Mission Circle members love when Dr. Klein does one of the webinars. And, uh, and I think it's because you're so good at, at not only having a good grasp of the theology, but being down to earth. And I love your practical examples. And so I recommend for people, the most important, the most exciting thing we can do in life is to know God and love God. And so knowing is the key to loving because the more we love, the more we're gonna to wanna to know. And the more we know about God, the more we desire to love. And so again, you can get this at catholic.market. Uh, the Augustine Suit and Ignatius Press published this book, God, What Every Catholic Should Know in our What Every Catholic Should Know series by Dr. Elizabeth Klein. And then we've got this Bible study that you have coming out. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about this, uh, this Bible study on God, the mystery of the Trinity in the Bible, which I think is so important for people to, to see God's revelation, his disclosure in the word throughout salvation history, that he, he's revealing slowly but surely the mystery of who he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's a wonderful Bible study. I looked at the art, the pictures in here, the discussions. It's really a phenomenal Bible study. So I'm really excited about this uh, that's going to be released here in the next month so people can get that. And then you have the short course on God. So if, uh, people can kind of get an easy without uh, you know being graded. They could take your little short course on our short course platform. So I recommend that as well. And uh, Liz, this is a joy. Thank you for doing this great work and for sharing uh, and being on the show tonight. Yeah, thanks for allowing me to talk about it. Like I said, this is very sort of near and dear to my heart as a theologian and as my genesis as a Catholic. So, mm. Well, thank you. And I want to thank everybody who supports us through the Mission Circle. For just $10 or more a month, you help support our mission and our ministry here. So we're grateful to you, and we wish that the Lord bless and keep all of you. Take care. You can watch this show in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, eBooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustine Institute, please visit missioncircle.org. You can watch this show in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, eBooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustine Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.